Hello, and welcome to Sprott Radio. I'm your host, Ed Coyne, Senior Managing Partner at Sprott Asset Management. I'm pleased to welcome back Fred Hickey, editor of the High Tech Strategist newsletter. Fred, thank you for once again joining Sprott Radio. Uh, my pleasure. Well, Fred, you know, in your most recent newsletter titled 2000 Deja Vu, you look to history as your guide. I'd like to jump right into it and start with a post-game analysis of the most recent Fed pause. What are we seeing there? What are you thinking? Well, usually they're pausing for a reason. And the reason is, is that there's some trouble on the horizon. Now, inflation has come down. So we have come down quite a bit from 9% down to 4, 4, 4 to 5%, depending on what number you're using. So it's come down. It's not at the target level of 2% that they have, but there's a lot of tightness. You know, there's a lot of other things that are tightening in the economy in the U.S. as well. No more STEMI checks. Those are the stimulus checks they sent out. Tax refunds are down quite a bit. Students haven't been paying any money on their loans for a couple of years since COVID. And that in August, late August, is going to start at $393 on average per month. SNAP benefits, which are food stamp benefits, have been reduced significantly. So all of these things are starting to have an impact. And so if you listen to the conference calls of all the major retailers, from Walmart to Costco to Amazon to Target, all saying the same thing. They're seeing a slowdown, first of all, but it's in discretionary spending. People are spending more on food, partly because of inflation, and they're shifting their spending away from discretionary items. So, so there's all these indications that the economy is slowing. I think we're on the cusp of recession right now, if not already in one. There's a group called the NBER, which will uh, officially make that designation, and they usually do it in hindsight months later. Mm-hmm. So I think we're heading that direction, and then it won't be long then after that, and that's that's typical in history when they go from hiking to pause to cutting rates, and that will have a lot of implications on things. Now, with inflation as high as it is, they may have to drag their heels a bit, and that's why I think it'll take us some months before we get to the cutting period. And so, you know, a fall event, a stock market decline of significance, that could trigger I think that would be the most likely trigger to uh, a cutting phase. Well, it seems like there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on right now out there. Not intentionally, but it just seems to be the the byproduct of what's happening. I mean, some people are announcing the Fed's getting it right, that there's a soft landing happening, all these things. But to your point, a lot of these numbers are pointing the opposite direction. I'm not sure investors are really paying attention. If you look at just the tech sector alone, let's talk about the big seven for a second. What does that actually mean, who they are, and their actual health? Yeah. So the big seven are your largest cap tech stocks. They're also called the magnificent seven. I think Kramer (laughs) might might have dubbed them that. They are Apple, Microsoft, Google, Meta, Facebook, Tesla, NVIDIA, Amazon. Those are the seven of them. They're all the largest market caps from Apple's almost $3 trillion right now down to Tesla. So I just talked about the economy not doing well. The end markets aren't doing well. Uh, and their businesses for these companies aren't very healthy. I'll give you one example. This is the Semiconductor SOX Index. How crazy this is. Semiconductor sales worldwide per the Semiconductor Industry Association. They just put these numbers out about a week ago are declining at the fastest rate since the 2009 recession, down 22% year over year. So it's the worst since the 2000. That was a pretty bad recession. The SOX index is up 50% year over year. Now, 
I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen a disconnect this great between reality, biggest decline since 2009 recession, and then this 50% increase in semiconductors. And if you look back, I talk about super bubbles, right? In the 1929 market, the big stock was Radio Corporation of America. It went up 10 times during the 1920s roaring stock market. And then it dropped 97%. Okay, it dropped 97%. <laughs> but there were 10 rallies of more than 10% or more during that great bear market of 1929 to 1932. And the average was 23%. In the 2000 bubble, there were 16 double-digit rallies. And again, they averaged 23% for those 16. So it's, it's, it's like human nature never changes. The stock symbols change, the names change, but the actions of investors never do. It's always driven by fear and greed. And so we're in the greed stage again here, even as end markets deteriorate for tech. Smartphones were growing two years ago, Q1. They were growing at 26%. Where are they now? Minus 15%. So we've gone from plus 26% to minus 15% year over year. So negative growth, massive decline. Yet Apple is at a record high yesterday. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And Apple was growing at 33% back two years ago. Then it fell to 8% last year. And last quarter, their revenue growth was negative, minus 4%. And the guidance going forward is negative as well. So we have negative growth, and yet Apple has gone gone up 50% this year as the end markets have deteriorated significantly. And there's no great story here. It's Apple's not very well placed in the cycle, their product cycle. Last big upgrade cycle was about three years ago, and the contracts are kind of all been done for That was 5G. I mean, they have the iPhone 15 coming out in September, but it's a nothing burger. They run out of colors, so instead of our, just a red color, they can have a darker red color. And they have minor improvements in processing speeds and a periscope for the highest end, but there's really nothing there. And that's why you haven't really heard about the iPhone 50. And, and so there's nothing to drive this. The economy's turning down. Apple's numbers have been declining, and yet they keep driving the stock higher and higher and higher. Well, we've seen this before. Bob Farrell, a Merrill Lynch fame technician, you know, markets are strongest when they're broad and weakest when they're narrow. And it's down when they're down to a handful of stocks. And that's exactly where we are today. Apple is up 50%. Microsoft was up 46%. What's happened to Microsoft revenue growth? Well, it hasn't gone negative, but it's gone to single digits from high double-digit growth. Meta and Google down to 2% revenue growth last quarter. Two from what was high double-digit growth. So these big seven I talk about are all seeing major declines, except for NVIDIA. They're all seeing major declines. Uh, Amazon, same thing, single-digit growth. Even their AWS business was disappointing and has been for the last couple of quarters. They're all seeing huge declines in their numbers, and it's not reflected in the stocks. The stocks are all up massively because of the crowding effect or the, what they call the FOMO, fear of missing out. Investors have to be in these names or they're going to underperform, and money managers can't underperform, and that's why Human nature doesn't change, and it's always the same. They all have to crowd in. They're forced to. At what point does reality set in that you're not really investing in growth anymore or opportunity? You're simply just chasing the dollars higher. In your estimation, what will be the thing that finally says, you know what, I'm not really buying anything. I'm just chasing the number. What will, what will cause that shift to happen in your mind? Well, it's certainly not the numbers that are being reported by the companies because that's that's been happening. So what is it? Well, it's one word, liquidity. 
it was the tightening in 2022 that caused the stock market to decline so much. And then it was the liquidity that came in from not issuing any treasuries and taking the TGA account down. And that's an injection of money into the system. And the other thing was, was that post the banking crisis that occurred in March, that came to a head in March with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, they all blew up. The Fed then took their balance sheet and injected money into the system to support the banks. And their balance sheet went back up. It had fallen from $8.9 trillion to 8.4. It went back up during the March timeframe, back almost to $8.9 trillion, And now it's falling again because QT is ongoing. And some of that liquidity the Fed had put in for the banks is coming out. So there's a huge what was liquidity injection in the first half of the year. And now there's going to be a huge liquidity outflow. And the liquidity outflow, I think, will have the same impact it did last year. And we'll have a resumption of the bear market. Now, it could take a little time. This week was the first week, and they issued about almost $300 billion worth of mostly treasury bills and some threes, tens, and thirty bonds. This is the first first week, and that, that was a mixed result in the first big auction. Now, we could see failed auctions here as we go forward, as things tighten and tighten and tighten. And what I didn't mention is the banking system, where half of our U.S. banks are insolvent, technically insolvent. They had bought too many bonds when all that money was injected, and now they have too much and they're trying to sell them as well. So there's now tightening as a result of banks not lending as much. You have 20 plus percent interest rates on credit cards. You have bankruptcies rising. Corporations close to 300 have gone bankrupt already, biggest since 2009 recession timeframe. So there is this tightening that's going to happen now in the second half. And that's why I think this will culminate in some type of September, October event that we've seen so many times in history. And so liquidity will be the driver, not the numbers. The numbers are falling apart already. So what about the investor then that either A, has to stay invested in the market or B, is trying to dollar cost average into the market? At Sprott, we're a precious metals and real asset firm. We obviously talk about precious metals as a low cost liquid hedge to a portfolio. I know you talk about gold and gold equities quite often in your newsletter. Maybe that's part of the answer, but what should investors do? If you have to stay in the market, if you have to try to grow your wealth over time, but you're at this moment in time, short of going all the cash, what are some of the things that you would recommend? How, how can you diversify your portfolio right now? Right. You want to avoid tech almost at all costs at this point here until, <laughs> until the bubble breaks. But the value area, I mean, for example, energy. Energy is an area where the valuations are very low, even though they had a great run in 2021 and 22. And I was, I was there. I had a, a very significant positions in both of them. And I reduced them because I was concerned about what's happened, which is that there would be a concern about the economic slowdown and demand destruction for the oil demand, and that would lead to the stocks declining, which they now have. One of the things I look at in the energy area is the managed money, which is where hedge funds are positioned and CTAs are positioned, so commodity traders. And they're now down. Usually energy does well in bear markets. So in the 1970s, for example, a very poor decade for for stocks, of course, it was a great gold bull market because gold does better than anything in these kinds of downturns. But energy did very well, too, at that time because they're cheap. They pay big dividends. They're very low PEs. So energy is a great place to be. And there aren't many plays, but uranium would be another one because the dynamics of that industry are very positive going forward. 
And then an area I don't really deal with, but emerging market stocks, international stocks are also cheap relative to the U.S. market. So the U.S. economy accounts for about 24% of world GDP, but it's 55% of total stock market valuation. So you could see what's happened. All the money has gone into the U.S. and it's not gone into emerging markets or international. So there are many places to be outside of the big magnificent seven. Let's shift a little further down then into the gold story. You'd mentioned just briefly that gold is one of those assets that does well in this type of environment. And you do a lot of research on both the physical metal itself, but also on the underlying mining stocks and also just on commodities in general. We've heard this term super cycle being thrown around a lot. Don't know if that's real or not. Seems like it might be. I'd love to get your view on that. Let's start with the yellow metal first from most simplistic form of just allocating to physical gold. And then let's work our way down through that. Gold does well when stock markets do not. So that was the 70s, where it was a great gold bull market in the 70s and a terrible decade for stocks. And then you had the 20 years bull market that culminated in the 2000 tech bubble. That was a 20 year bear market for gold. And then you had the 2000s decade where it was called the lost decade for stocks. And then gold had a terrific time of it, uh, up 600 plus percent and silver up 900 percent and the miners up 1700 percent over that 11 year time frame. So here we are now. I think we're going to have another downturn in the market from a bubble area. So uh, you're very high, very high valuation still. And I think that you'll see the same I call it a yin-yang, where gold does well when the stock market doesn't do well. And of course, that's usually because uh, you're in recessions and you have trouble in the world, there's turmoil, and people gravitate to gold. One fact, and I think you guys know it, is that gold is still up well, since that 2000 time frame mm-hmm. at a bigger pace than the S&P, and that includes uh, dividends. Even in this period of time, I mean, yesterday is a pretty good example of gold isn't reacting negatively to the two events. So Last year, for example, rates were rising dramatically and gold didn't fall. Last year, the dollar was very strong and gold didn't fall. Mm-hmm. It was a very strong performance for gold. And then yesterday, we just had the Fed pause, but very, very hawkish talk. And the market was embedding in two more rate hikes as a result of that hawkish talk. Now, that could have been a trigger for a sell-off. I was braced for it, uh, but it didn't happen. It went down yesterday and then rallied today. And I have an explanation for that. I have an explanation for why that is. Yeah. Why why do you think that is? Because it does seem like gold's doing its job. It's not making headlines. People don't really care. But last year alone, it was basically flat. The S&P was off high teens. And it didn't really get a lot of notice by investors. And year to date, it's kind of doing its job again. It's positive for the year, even though the market's rallying and everyone's talking about tech and all these things. Why do you think people aren't really paying attention just yet? There are two separate buyers here. There's the U.S. and Canadian buyers, and they're non-existent right now, pretty much non-existent. Their focus in the U.S. is all about the Magnificent Seven and, and chasing those tech stocks. That's where all the money is flowing into. But then there's the physical buyers, and the physical buyers aren't in the U.S. They're overseas. They're in China, and they're in India. And there you're seeing massive buying, and that's where you're getting your floor. You know, last year you had... 1,343 tons of gold go into China, imports. And it was up 64% year over year. And the first quarter was to almost 300 tons going into China. You've had central bank buying around the world. And that was uh, 1,136 tons last year. That was a record amount. And it's uh, obviously China's 
buying and they they were buying even when they said they weren't buying mm-hmm. they, they were buying they just didn't report it but you had all sorts of central banks that have been buying and it's not just you know brick type countries india continues to buy they bought quite a bit last year you have middle eastern buyers egypt bought 50 tons last year uae's been buying they're buying a lot from russia Qatar has been buying a lot of middle eastern countries Saudi Arabia doesn't report, but I'm sure they're buying because every once every they do what China does every few years. They'll say, "Oh, we were buying 400 tons, and we just hadn't told you." And they're right. doing that again, I'm sure. But then also other non-Eastern countries like Poland, for example, that bought 15 tons. Singapore, which is very friendly to the U.S., bought 69 tons in the first quarter. So we have all of these central bank buyers, and central banks used to only account for eight to 15 percent of world gold demand. Yet it was close to 25% now. So they've taken up the slack from the Western buyers. All the money that's flowing out of the ETFs has been taken up by Eastern buyers. The other thing is in China, it's not just a central bank buying there. It's it's the average person. If you look at their where their wealth is, 80% of it is in housing. And obviously, that's been a bad place lately. They have a a gigantic housing bubble and prices have been falling there. And their stock market is doing very poorly, too. It's it's young people in China that are buying. The biggest buyers in China are the 25 to 34 level, and the next biggest are the 34 to 45 level. And what these people are saying is they're saying, well, gold's outperforming. It's outperforming the stock market. So whereas it's not really outperforming here, not no Magnificent Seven in China, it is outperforming in China. And they know that the economy is not it's been very weak and, and they haven't gotten the bounce that they thought they were going to get here early this year. Just like here, gold is of interest when things aren't going well and it's not going well so well in China. So you have all of this buying that's going on around the world, physical demand. And that's what's, I think, giving us those higher lows, higher lows, higher lows over mm. and over again. Even though there's been this exodus of money that's come out of gold, and there's really virtually no positions here by Western investors. Now, Western investors do come in, and they're the ones that drive both the bull market moves, the big moves. And they have no positions, but they will. But when will they? Well, if you go back to 2000, the buyers didn't come in until 2002, 2000, right? And it was until the bear market, until they really knew that they were in trouble, meaning U.S. investors knew they were in trouble, and the stock market was dead, and they capitulated. And then the money started pouring into gold. Usually, it's the Western investors who will drive the market to tops. They're not here yet, but they will come in. And likely when the stock market declines. Well, Fred, we could spend probably another two hours just having these conversations. I mean, you have so much great intel. You know, I know you do a monthly newsletter. I know people would love to hear more from you. I've always told people, you know, I encourage you to, on all of our guests, to, to really a follow-up. And you and I have talked offline. You haven't had to advertise. You have a wonderful following. You have some great intel out there. And one of the things you said is you can just simply email you guys. Your email address is thehightechstrategist at yahoo.com. I love that you have yahoo.com. You don't hear that too much these days. Uh, it just shows how long you've been around doing this, which is fantastic. Well, at least but I, I don't have do... an AOL account. <laughs> <laughs> AOL, get them all. I, I have a lot of Google <laughs> Gmail accounts, but uh, this one we've been using for a very long time. But if someone were to email you, you can get back to them and, and they can and certainly we'll send, get access. We send, well, what happens is then we send, uh, my trusty assistant will send out all the details. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I encourage people to do that. You have some great intel in here. 
very thoughtful. The most recent piece, you know, 2000 Deja Vu was chock full of information. And always a pleasure to have you on. Always a pleasure to read your newsletter. And I really appreciate you taking some time to speak with us once again. That's been my pleasure. Well, once again, my name's Ed Coyne, and thank you for listening to Sprott Radio. This podcast is provided for information purposes only from sources believed to be reliable. However, Sprott does not warrant its completeness or accuracy. Any opinions and estimates constitute our judgment as of the date of this material and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This communication is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any financial instrument. Any opinions and recommendations herein do not take into account individual client circumstances, objectives or needs and are not intended as recommendations of particular securities, financial instruments or strategies. You must make your own independent decisions regarding any securities, financial instruments or strategies mentioned or related to the information herein. This communication may not be redistributed or retransmitted in whole or in part or in any form or manner without the express written consent of Sprott. Any unauthorized use or disclosure is prohibited. Receipt and review of this information constitutes your agreement not to redistribute or retransmit the contents and information contained in this communication without first obtaining express permission from an authorized officer of Sprott.